0: something that i as a pilot thinking that i could always move a airplane from point a to point b safely that i was going to find a cure and that we were going to land this thing uh safely but over time i realized that everybody has the same fate everybody is going to die from something and this is going to be how our fate but at the same time let's have the best quality along the way as opposed to concentrating on disease itself
1: Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, a Quantivose coach and your host for Conversations. My guest today is Tony Copeland Parker. Tony's a bit of an unusual guest for a podcast that focuses on leadership and business leaders, but he has an important message that I think we all need to hear whether we're leading the front line or leading from the C-suite. Tony was UPAS pilot for 27 years. And then he retired. Today, he is an author and he is inviting us to look at life differently. Tony, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Tony, you blogged for quite some time um, after retiring. You now have a book called Running with Cat and a website by the same name. Could you start by telling us who Cat is? Cat, uh, that's my pet
0: name for my partner of 23 years, Catherine Elizabeth Pop, And uh, we ran into a situation that uh, some folks find throughout their life. Uh, they f- think they have everything figured out. I was in corporate. I was working in management at United Parcel Service also as a pilot and I thought that I had everything all figured out. Catherine was working for the government and uh, life was was going out rather well. Unfortunately, I ended up finding out that I had to have open heart surgery. I had a leaky aortic valve that needed to be replaced. And then along the same time, Catherine was diagnosed with early onset ulcer. For your listeners here, uh, Many of you think of Alzheimer's as your uncle, your mother, your grandmother, or grandfather, but there is a subset of individuals that can get it in their 50s. Unfortunately for Catherine, she got it when she was 53 years old, and we had to make some decisions. Was I going to continue working like a lot of people do, leave her at home to fend for herself, and, uh, keep climbing the corporate ladder, or take the time to challenge and take on this disease as a team effort. And we decided to do the latter. So like you said, we both retired, uh, we sold our home, and we became nomads, which was uh, something that I did not anticipate doing. But at the same time, it fit in with our lifestyle because at that point we were running marathons and half marathons and uh, we just decided to see the world at that point we did not know how long her life expectancy was going to be it can be from two to 20 years the average is about eight so we figured we'd try to get in as much life as possible uh, as long as possible Uh, we're now nine years later I noticed something was wrong a year prior. So we're 10 years into this. And we're still trying to enjoy as much of life as possible, leaving corporate life behind and uh, taking every day one step at a time.
1: Tony, when we were talking before we started recording, I talked a little bit about why I felt it was important to have you as a guest. And part of that reason, one of those reasons, is you really were challenged to rethink life priorities. And I think that's a challenge that so many of us don't have to face. But I also think it's a challenge every one of us should be facing. What are your thoughts on that? For a commercial pilot, you're allowed to
0: continue flying until you're 65 years old. So for me, at the age of 58, I had the time horizon of seven more years. I had a very good corporate job at United Parcel Service. I was also a manager. So I was able to manage assets and not just fly an airplane from point A to point B. So I still looked at the fact that I was going to continue flying, continue working there for seven years. And Catherine was only 53 years old. So let's just say her time horizon being the same, the normal uh, retirement age of 65. So she was looking at about 12 more years of working. So for us to cut short the climbing of the ladder, the income that would come in uh, from our jobs, and then make the drastic move to uh, just go out and see uh, the world uh, with our feet, basically, our uh, running marathons was something totally different. We looked at trying to find someplace else to live, but at the same time, everywhere we would go, we would be there for about three to four days and we would say, okay, where else can we go? What else can we see? What other race can we do? And when we left uh, the corporate life behind, uh, we had no regrets. And luckily for me, I was still upon me by my parents to save. And that's the big difference here is that even though I had a horizon of retiring at 65, I was saving with the thought process of, could I retire today if I had to? And I think I had a little bit different look upon life and work than others do, which is I was trying to put aside as much money as I could uh, so that if something like this was to happen, I could uh, go ahead and make that decision to leave. Also my parents, they both retired in their 60s and they traveled quite a bit. So they instilled that, but they also you know, life is good, work is good, but uh, being with the one that you love as much
1: as you can is even better. I think that that reflection on what's important in life is one that really surfaced for many people as a result of being forced out of the workplace into the home workplace and finding a different experience with the people that we love in our lives. And, and so even for those who it's, it's not about I'm ready to retire. It is about what is the purpose that is driving me today? And how do I better live into that purpose? Tony, can you tell us a little bit about running with cat these days? Well, unfortunately,
0: what happened uh, about a year ago, uh, she started having seizures. Uh, a subset of folks that have uh, early onset Alzheimer's or Alzheimer's do get seizures, about 20, 20 25% of them. And the seizures are uh, upon her awakening and they take a toll on her. And They're all they're full out seizures, so convulsions and all. And unfortunately a year ago, uh, they took away her ability to run. Uh, however, she still is very active. Uh, she walks uh, probably 60 miles a day. And that's one of the things that she tries to do and stay active. I still run. So as an adaptation to our uh, travels, what I do is I have what is known as the catmobile. It's an adult sized stroller. And we, when we go for walks or do a race, she'll walk as long as she can, and then she'll hop into the stroller and then I'll start pushing her and uh, we can, can continue to do races. So it's about every other weekend we go somewhere uh, nearby Uh, The overseas trips are a little bit too much for her now, uh, but we still do travel about every other weekend. And uh, we do races uh, from place to place, Uh, more like uh, 10Ks and half marathons as opposed to the full marathons. But uh, she enjoys being outdoors and she enjoys being with others, Uh, the socialization, which is very important for those with Alzheimer's. So, and also the exercise That's paramount when someone has Alzheimer's, try to keep their brain talking to their body as long as possible.
1: It's clear you and Kat have a close relationship. You said when you and I were talking in part of how I introduced you, that you're inviting others to look at life differently. And you've shared some of how your view of life has shifted. How has Kat's view of life shifted through this experience?
0: Well, she had an experience early on, two uh, very devastating experiences in her life. When she was in her early 30s, she got married for the first time. And unfortunately, her husband uh, had cancer, and he died only a year after they were married. So what she did was she turned to running to take her mind off of the, the despair of losing her husband. So uh running marathons is a very mental event um you have to train for it but at the same time there's a portion of it where your mind is trying to tell you in every single way to stop doing this so you have to overcome that mentally and she has completed 89 marathons she's completed a marathon in all 50 states and we've been uh run at least a half marathon in 35 different countries over our travels to visiting 81 different countries. So uh, then the second thing that happened to her was her dad ended up having vascular dementia. So she was caring for him and watching that demise, which in turn had us have quite a few conversations about how she wanted to live in case that devastating uh, disease hit her. And it turned out that some of the things that she was saying was, you know, I want to live and do as much as I can for as long as I can. I want you by my side as opposed to you putting me away in a home. And I promised her that that's what I would do. And I am still by her side. Uh, and with some help, from others that I'm ready to come in to help me, but uh, we still are together and we still enjoy everything that we can do together, uh, including the races that we still participate in. So I think her mindset, uh, you know, early on uh, shaped her that life is fragile. You know, you get married and you think you're going to live a long life with your husband, and then a year later he's gone, and then you think that uh, you're dead. That you know you cherished was going to be around until the eighties and nineties, and he was gone in the seventies from a devastating, and also was able to witness it. And then uh, one of the things that she also told me was, when I started telling her that I was writing about our experiences, she said, "Make sure you tell everything, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want everybody to know what I went through, and anything that you can tell them to help others to, to have a better life." For this disease, because this disease is not a death sentence. For me, it's a life lesson. I've learned so much about being a partner for someone, to care for someone as deeply as I have, and also realize that if the tables were turned, she would do the same for me.
1: I want to go back, Tony, to when you were talking about running and preparing for marathons. I'm not a runner. But back in 2007, I did a Himalayan pilgrimage and a lot of hiking in in very high altitudes. And I was 56 at the time. And when I asked my trainer to help me prepare, he was very clear that, yes, that physical preparation is important. but. There are other preparations and you mentioned some of this um, a few minutes ago. There's a, a very strong mental component. There's also a very small, strong emotional component and a very strong spiritual component because those are the energies that fuel us. It's not just the physical, it's the mental, emotional and spiritual. And again, so often in our lives, we just get into these routines that we don't really think about keeping those tanks full. And, you know, it's very interesting. I'm I'm thinking about one of my former clients who said, and and she's not the only one who said, I really don't have a spiritual life. And then we began to talk. And she realized at that time she had an aging pet that she could spend hours with that pet on her lap. And that served a spiritual purpose for her. She would go out and weed her garden. She would go out and sit in in nature. So there, there are different ways that each of us can refuel ourselves. As COVID sort of wore on, One of the things that I noticed with my clients is their resilience, their ability to readapt to circumstances around them was getting more and more strained. And in every case, if we could sit and look at where are these four energy levels? What can we do to restore them? it made an incredible difference in resilience. And I'm listening to you and I'm listening, you know, to the story of Kat, and I'm thinking, what incredible resilience. You talked about the physical, you talked about the mental. How do you emotionally and spiritually prepare yourself for the kinds of challenges that you and Kat have faced? Well,
0: let me talk first about uh, the marathon itself. Uh, In the emotional uh, standpoint from that, uh, one of the things that we do, and it's only a lot of couples, is that we always run together. Uh, That is something that has transitioned throughout our our life together. Um, She started running marathons before me. She trained me to run my first marathon in New York City uh, 23 years ago. And she was a lot faster than me. And she would always encourage me to get it done. And when my tank was empty, she was still trying to give me incentives to keep going. And we finished hand in hand. That was something that was a tradition for us is to go across the finish line hand in hand and then give each other a big hug afterwards. And that emotionally, that bond that we had for 26.2 miles, every single footstep, her turning around and looking at me and telling me to keep going. And now, as he is not able to run and as the running was being taken away from her over the last year or two, I was in turn the one that was trying to encourage her to keep going. And I was always there, you know, to, to, to lead her in the right direction on the course and uh so we've seen a a turn of events as it were uh when we first started to to where we are now and now you know now that she's riding in the stroller when we cross the finish line you know i still grab her hand and i still hold her hand as we cross the finish line so you know that bond is still there uh, from an emotional standpoint On, on a spiritual standpoint it's interesting because as you talked about your other client uh Catherine and I are not as we would say religious but we are very spiritual and we had a situation where we went to the run in uh, in Australia and we're in the desert uh there's very few people running this race and we're uh running around the, the big rock and it's uh a very spiritual situation for us. I ran the marathon. She had broken her ankle eight weeks prior. So she's out there in the desert with a cane and a boot, and she is, you know, walking a half marathon by herself, basically. And we both finished, you know, and gave each other a hug. And at the same time, uh, she told me about her experience And i told her about my experience and they were the exact same experience that we had even though we were we weren't together and we were running totally different races but found the same type of uh spirituality from that race emotionally for the disease itself i've learned so much about it and i try to teach others from my with my writings about the disease something that i as a pilot, thinking that I could always move a airplane from point A to point B safely, that I was going to find a cure, and that we were going to land this thing uh, safely. But over time, I realized that everybody has the same fate. Everybody is going to die from something, and this is going to be how our fate, but at the same time, let's have the best quality along the way, as opposed to concentrating on the disease itself. So I've learned a whole lot about the disease. And also one of the things that I've learned is that there's no two people that will have the same journey along the line. If I, if I told, you, I told you earlier, two to 20 years is the span. You know, so many different factors uh, play a role into it. You know, how you were raised, your genes, you know, what did you do? How did you eat? You know, what type of level of exercise? Uh, what did you do uh, prior to the disease onset? And, you know, down to sleep. Uh, hydration, all sorts of things play a factor into your longevity and how how you're going to handle it. So emotionally, I've learned a, a whole lot about it, and the fact that uh, I'm very very happy that I'm able to honor my my pledge to her, which is that I was going to be by her side throughout.
1: Tony Copeland Parker, running with cat. Thank you for this conversation. There are important lessons here for all of us.
0: You're quite welcome. I really enjoyed the time together.